So about, yeah, so about four months ago, I was planning out my, my sermons for the spring. And that's what I do. We kind of, I get in this rhythm that before Christmas, I need to have it all set out. Because right, right after Christmas, Vicky and Tyler and I work to plan out the rest of the year. This is a, I wasn't doing this before I came to this church. And it's a fantastic rhythm. It makes every week. I know, I know what's going to happen in six weeks. I know what's going to happen in, in three months. I have it all lined up. Um, and usually I kind of take the lectionary readings and play around with it a little bit. Um, but so, for instance, this series, I had, I had the scriptures and the titles of all the sermons go out. And the, the title for today's sermon is Wilderness Wanderings. Um, what does it mean to wander in, in the wilderness? What do we need to survive in a place where we don't have directions, where we don't know what is going to happen? What are the things that we truly need in our life? And we find ourselves in this season as, as a world, as a globe of wilderness, of not knowing what really to do. And we have, in, in a lot of portrayals, we have a group of people who are, who are in total panic and taking every toilet paper roll in history and just keeping it. Um, and then we have people who are like flauntingly going to St. Patrick's Day parades and like kissing strangers in the midst of this. And these are portrayals that were given in our media of either like complete like denial and saying, oh, you know, the government lies to us all the time, the media lies to us all the time, why should we believe them? Or um, like trying to be the bo- like trying to somehow in the midst of an unprecedented time still cry wolf all the time. And we're left in the middle of this of how to be faithful. What do we need? And so we have this series that I started, um, The Lost Art of Finding our way of what does it mean to, to be faithful in the midst of Lent. And it's this amazing serendipity that God presents us in this season, tools to find our way. The whole, part of the whole point of the season of Lent is a period of self-examination, of looking into your life, looking into your heart, to think, what do I really need? What do I really need to survive for, say, the next two to four weeks? What do I really need? What are the things that I have to have for us? I can't go on. As well, you know, um, I think there's a big challenge. The, the reality that there's no game on to watch. <laughs> when, you know, I've been conditioned as an American male to have my identity based on the next game. <laughs> and so if I can't talk about the next game, like, what do I have to talk to other guys about? Like, what do we have in common? <laughs> Is it like, you know... It's like, what is it? Wait, can I be myself and not talk about a game? Can I, can I, be, like, can I, can I read a book? Can I talk about a book with other guys? And thinking about, like, that discernment and self-examination. So many of us are being forced into this. It's like, okay, now it's, you didn't want to fast. Oh, you gave up, you know, you gave up cookies at between 2 and 3 p.m. on Tuesdays. <laughs> I see, guys, I see you. I see you. Now, okay, here you go. What, who are you? What do you need in your life? What is the water that you are drawing from? What is the water that you are drawing from? The Samaritans. The Samaritan people. Can you put the map up, Ray? I think it's the next slide. Okay. So Samaria is this region south of Galilee in Nazareth. But it basically covers most of it, most of the area north of Jericho, north of Jerusalem. 
So in order to get from Galilee and Capernaum and the areas where Jesus is doing his ministry, you've got to go through Samaria. And this passage begins with Jesus had to go to Samaria. So he's going to Samaria, but Samaria is one of those places that you want to go through quickly. The, the Samaritans were different than Jews. This is a very important distinction. And um, in the time, Samaritans were just, they were different, they were foreigners, they were strangers. The main difference was that they didn't believe in the temple. They didn't believe in the, the acts of the temple, the rites of the temple. They thought they could be faithful to the God of Jacob where they were, and they didn't have to go to the temple. But this made them unclean. This made the bowls and the buckets that they picked water out of the well unclean. Not worthy of touching. It was, you shouldn't touch it. Not only were Samaritans people you don't talk to, you don't, you don't touch them, it makes you unclean. But Jesus went through Samaria, and she went to Shechem. he went to Shechem, which is on that way, on the south way. It's not the easiest road. The easiest road is right along the Jordan River. So he didn't go the easiest road. He was going down through it, and he comes across a well, and he comes to a woman, a Samaritan woman, a woman, a woman of the town, and asked her for some water. Now, translations are always awkward. Hebrew is a very verb-centric language, and so imperatives are not as harsh in Hebrew as they are in English. So when Jesus says, go give me some water, it, it really isn't, um, it's not this kind of rude, how, how dare you, Jesus, talk to this lady. Um, it's really this shocking thing that he's talking to this lady. It's this shocking thing that he's breaking this cultural distancing that has taken place. This, this distancing that they had done in the, in the period to separate themselves because they didn't want to get contaminated. The people were not, did not want to be contaminated. So they blocked off this whole people, this whole region, a large region that they had to like basically plug their nose to walk through because you have to get to the temple through Samaria, but you don't have to like it. And so, and so they went. So Jesus crosses this threshold and asks for the water. Give me some water. Give me some water. What is the water that we need in this season? What do we need? That's what, that's what Lent is about. Lent is about preparing our hearts for Easter, preparing our hearts for resurrection to realize what we need. We talked about, on the first Sunday of Lent, the Jesus in the desert, 40 days fasting in the desert, 40 days praying in the desert. Many of us are of the mindset, including me most of the time, that Jesus was weakest at the end of that. After 40 days of fasting, after 40 days of praying, Jesus was weakest. He didn't have a lot of blood sugar going on. He, he, was, he was in his own head for a long time. Many of us may think if we put ourselves in that position, I would be weakest after that. The devil thought Jesus was weakest after that, right? But the amazing power and irony of God is that after 40 days of fasting and 40 days of prayer, I believe that is when Jesus was the strongest. That is when Jesus was the most ready to face temptation, the most ready to face those challenges. Because after that time, he knew to rely entirely on the Lord. He did not rely any on himself. There was nothing left after that time. A book I, I loved when I was in high school was a book called Siddhartha by Herman Hesse. 
And in it, it's, um, one of the characters says, I, th- I can overcome any challenge through fasting and prayer. Um, because through prayer, I can deal with boredom. I can deal with time. I can outweigh anybody. Because if you're going to wait on me, I will outweigh you because I will just be praying while you're doing that. And I don't need to eat because I'm fasting. And so all the ways that people, social control usually happens. Well, if you don't do this, you're not going to get fed. If you don't do this, something won't happen. It says like that, you can't control me that way. This is what Jesus shows to the devil. He doesn't need to turn the stones into bread because he has the bread of life from God. He doesn't need to go for the angels to rescue him because he knows God is already with him. Rescuing him in every moment of every day. Holding him up. The angels are already holding him up. The angels are already holding us up. We don't need to leap from a building to prove that. To show him. Lent gives us this time to look inward. To think, who am I? And who has God made me to be? What am I thirsty for? What am I thirsty for? Am I thirsty for the water of that well that I have to return to again and again and again? Or do I yet notice that thirst for living water? That living water that can nourish me, whether or not we are told we cannot leave our homes, whether or not there is community spread in our areas. Is that living water going to be with us. Last week I mentioned how uh, in the Bible it doesn't say to pass the peace you have to shake hands. Like that's not a biblical thing. That's just what people happen. There's a lot of practices of the church that have, that have been built up over time that don't really go back to scriptures. That it's not that they're bad. It's just that we don't need to hold them up into this kind of elevated position. But this is not the first plague or pandemic that has ever faced the church. In the, in the 555s, the 555s era, I like. So back, back in the 6th century, there was an emperor in, in Constantinople named Justinian. And Justinian was a great emperor. He, was, he built the Hagia Sophia. If you've ever been to Istanbul, I have not, but I've heard it's amazing. It's one of the largest churches in the world. He built it in four years. Four years. It would take, you know, 400 years to get through the contract, like the, the permits to build something <laughs> like that. He built the Hagia Sophia in four years. He, he codified all the, the codes of the different countries in the Roman Empire into the Justinian Code that basically lasted until the 1790s and Napoleon rising to power. Like the, the Code of Justinian is still authoritative in some places in the world. The influence. He expanded, he took back over a lot of Italy from the barbarians. He, and his, um, he took back Sicily, he took back Rome and Naples. His great general, Belisarius, took back North Africa. These amazing things that they, were, that they were building and expanding. And then the plague happened. The bubonic plague came and it, it wiped them out. And then, and then Constantinople just shrunk back to the great city and the, and the Christendom and, the, and the, the peoples and the churches were just left alone. Then, you know, we all remember the plague from, from the 13th century and the 14th century 
Stories of ring around the rosy, pocket full of posy. To teach kids, don't touch those folks with the red rings. <laughs> and if they're wearing, if they have a lot of posies in their pockets, you've got to stay away. To remind them of that. In the midst of that plague in the 13th century, an English woman, who we now name Julian of Norwich, was born. She was born in the midst of a plague. And a plague that, that, that people knew was, was going to happen. It came back up. Every, every few years, there would be a plague, and people had gotten used to it. They got used to the fact that many of their people would die, many of their friends would die, their family would die. They built the, some of the great cathedrals of Europe in the midst of the plague. And they kept on building those cathedrals. They kept on building for a future. They did not give up on what was going to happen. Julian of Norwich left us this amazing work that's often called Revelations or Showings. It is um, one of the first works in the English language um, written, by, written by a woman that we have. It's one of the longest early works written by a woman. Um, and it's, it's gorgeous and beautiful. It's different than what other people were writing. <laughs> Most of the theology and other things in that time were in this very um, scholastic Latin. It was almost this kind of simplified Latin that was very direct and to the point. It was the language of clerks and priests. And Julian of Norwich wrote in this like lavish English, um, just describing in different ways, using words in different ways. She wrote in the midst of these plagues. She wrote in the midst of the people she knew Dying, she wrote in the midst of different levels of quarantines. One of my teachers, uh, Amy Laura Hall, wrote a book about Julian Norwich last week. Uh, la- not last week, last year. <laughs> not last week. She's, she's a gr- great writer, not that fast, but. Um, <laughs> they, I, I really encourage, and I'll share with those afterwards, um, but to talking about, and, and Dr. Hall goes into some of the details about what was the reality that Julian was living and how, what she was writing about, and how she was praising God in the midst of this. How she was exhorting people around her to be faithful in the midst of it. How she was writing letters to, to dukes and, and royals, and being like, no, you need, to, you need to be faithful to God in the midst of this. And she's, she's most well known for the very end of the showings, in this phrase that I like to say a lot. It's, and, and all will be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. And it's one of those those kind of beautiful sayings that can almost be spoken too glibly. That it could be like, oh, don't worry, honey, all things are going to be okay. And that's like, that's not what she's saying. <laughs> she's not saying, don't like, be foolish. Too often when we give people encouragement, it can come off as, oh, you know, it's like foolish, you're foolish to worry, you're foolish to think about these things. Instead, I think it's on, it's on the other side. It's on the other side of the mountain. That she is speaking. It's on the other side of grief that she is speaking, of response. All will sh- shall be well, not because humans have our act together, but because God is good. That God is with us in the midst of this, that God has been with us through the midst of this, that this world is broken, my brothers and sisters. We are in need of a Savior. We are in need of a Savior. And we believe that the Jesus Christ who came to that well in Samaria, the Jesus Christ who eventually walked that lonely road down to Jerusalem, to Calvary Hill, 
that same Jesus Christ who was killed by the city, by the, by the empire, killed by the people screaming, crucify him. That same Jesus Christ rose three days later and shows us and shows the world that death does not have the final word, that suffering does not have the final word, that we as Christians don't need to turn our eyes from suffering. We don't need to turn our eyes from pain because we know on the other side of Good Friday is resurrection. And we can hold firm to who God has created us to be. And so we take this time in this season of Lent, my brothers and sisters. May it be a period of self-examination. May it be a period of fasting, of true fasting. Of seeing like, okay, God, I know you saw me. I'm going to start today. I'm going to do something different. You know, just because you didn't start a fast on Ash Wednesday doesn't mean you can't start one today. The point of the fast is not to prove something to God. It's to see who you are. It's a gift. God has offered us this gift of self-discernment, of showing, is my belly really more powerful than my mind? Is, are my eyes and the things I watch more important than my soul and the things I pray for? Are my habits, are my, my routines of going to this restaurant and this restaurant more important than what God is giving to me more important than the living water? Jesus in the temptation tells us not to test God, but continually encourages us to test ourselves. And we test ourselves not out of guilt, but out of knowing that the living water that Jesus offers to us is poured out. So when we look inward and find ourselves wanting, that doesn't mean we should despair, but instead hope. That living water is there for us and we can take a step towards God in this moment, wherever we are. My brothers and sisters, I don't know what the next few weeks is going to happen. We may not be able to see each other face to face. But I will still be your pastor. This will still be your church. We will still be together, even when we are separate. Outside, um, the narthex are some cards and some notes, and you can take them if you would like. Hopefully, if you, are, uh, if you are watching at home, that you have some kind of note card for you, some kind of letter, some kind of stationery. One thing that always um, kept me from wanting to do a live stream of some kind was the difference in, in, in response that people can make at home versus at church. And so I want us to try to respond in the same way together. I want us to write some letters this week. Or at least two. Maybe more, but at least two. And letters that you don't usually write. I want us to write one letter to someone who is an elder to you, older than you. Or if you don't feel like you know anybody older than you, wiser than you. We all have that. <laughs> I want you to write them a letter and say thank you for something that you've learned from them. Say thank you for some skill, some habit, some practice that, that you have gained from that person. Just to say thank you. And then I want you to write a letter to someone younger than you. I want you to do that and, and, try, and try and do the same. 
Jesus says, let the little children come to me, for to them belong the kingdom of God. God speaks through our elders, God speaks through our children, God speaks through our neighbors. Too often, though, we don't tell people when God is speaking through them. And I want us to take some, t- take some time this week, maybe hopefully today, to share that whatever skills, whatever um, pra- dis- disciplines, whatever spiritual disciplines any of us have ever learned or practiced, we have learned from others. Jesus learned to fast before he went out to the desert. Nobody, nobody becomes a saint overnight. God speaks through the community, each of you, me included. We have learned from others. God uses us to share love, to share God's love in the midst of this. That we are not alone, whether or not you are at home, whether you are here, wherever you are, for those who could not join us today. God is with us. You are not alone. Let us remind each other that we are not alone. Let us remember in the midst of the wilderness, whether or not we feel like we're in Samaria or Galilee or Austin, Texas, we are not alone. God is with us and that living water is offered for you this day. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.